Um, uh, let's look in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 9, <coughs> um, verses um, 32 through 1016. That's a lot of reading, but um, um, I think you'll, you'll see the context that all of this is going to fit into. Matthew chapter 9, verses 32 through 1016. Uh, this, hmm? Oh, stand up and read. Okay. Okay. It's contrary to the synagogue, but that's all right. All right. And as they went out, behold, they brought him a dumb man possessed with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake and the multitudes marveled, saying, It was never so seen in Israel, but the Pharisees said, he cast out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease, every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they uh, fainted and were scattered about as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he to, unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And chapter 10. And when he had called unto him the twelve disciples, he gave them power over against unclean spirit to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Now the names of the twelve apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the sons of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Libius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Then twelve, these twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles, and into the city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staffs, for the workman is worthy of his meat. And who's in, into whatsoever city ye shall enter, endure, uh, endure inquire who is uh, uh, in it who is worthy, and there abide until you go hence. And when you come into a house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace be upon it. But if it be not worthy, let, not your peace re let your peace return unto you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words, when you depart of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. Verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for, that land of, of, for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that uh, in the day of judging them for that city. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word is the absolute truth. Please empower us that we might communicate effectively. Let everything we say honor you as our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, when a um, command, um, a military command, uh, is about to go into battle, uh, they call the action m mission actual. 
They've been in planning stages, they've been in the training stages, but now they're in mission actual. And this passage of scripture is mission actual. Uh, a lot of people highlight the, the parts they like, you know, uh, the parts where uh, Jesus makes the Pharisees look like, like idiots, and, or um, Jesus um, raises Lazarus from the dead, or that kind of thing. But let me tell you something, mission actual can look mundane. Let, let, let's, let's be honest, of all the jobs on planet Earth, how many are just dying to be a shepherd? You know what the job of a shepherd mostly is? Just moving sheep along, make sure they don't get lost and they don't fall off a cliff. It can be one of the most boring things you could ever think of. When I did, when I was in high school and they did my uh, intelligence uh, assessment test to determine what um, profession I should go in, I was so stupid they said you should be a fire watcher. Um, (laughs) It's boring. It's 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 boring. But actually, that's the real work. Christianity is daily. It's not a bunch of of mountaintop experiences. It's daily. You remember what the prophet said? He says, and they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, but they shall walk and not faint. You'd think that the greater work of, of flying takes the most effort. No, what, what takes the effort is the daily. It's the consistent testimony. It is the consistent faithfulness, the consistent, consistent holiness. It's the day in, day out. It's the scrutiny. If you look at, um, I'm, I just, I'm just finishing up the, doing a study of the book of Daniel. And in Daniel chapter 6, uh, Daniel was promoted so that he would be over all the princes and the presidents in the land. And all of the princes and presidents of the land uh, that were his contemporaries were jealous of him. They were jealous of him. And they said, if we are going to find any fault in him, it's going to be in his faith. Because his day in, day out living is consistent, it's holy, it's faithful. And they were right. And when they pulled up aside Daniel after they got the decree to be signed by Darius, they know that daily he would face toward Jerusalem and he would pray to his God. And that's that they said, we can't get him in his fault. Let's get him in his faithfulness. What a wonderful crime to be convicted of that you found faithful. I don't know if you guys remember it, but our, our um, 42nd clown that was president, Bill Clinton, um, when he uh, committed adultery, when he committed adultery, you'd think that the public outcry would be horrendous. When polled on the streets of New York, the woman says, no, I'm glad he did. At least we have a president who's human. Now, this is women who have husbands. And the top citizen of our country, and they're saying, no, I want a, a, a president that's human. He's, he's violated the Constitution of the United States. He's violated his family. He's been unfaithful to his wife. He's disgraced his daughter. And everybody accepts that. Can't you see where the world is going? All the more the tide of Christianity should be against the flow. 
with a consistency of holiness. A consistency of holiness. Now, this passage of Scripture, like I said, is mission actual. And I'm going to give you uh, a three-point outline, and we're only going to deal with the second point. Because if we dealt with all three points, we'd be here until leap year. Okay? Uh, The book of Matthew, remember what the book of Matthew is. It is the only um, um, gospel that was written in Aramaic. And there's some debate about that. Some people say, no, that's not true, and it actually is true. But there's, there's enough evidence to point to the fact that there, it was uh, written in Aramaic. One reason is because that was the, 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 the purpose uh, why the Jews killed Matthew. He dared write his gospel in the language of the people, Aramaic. And so uh, the reason why he did that, uh, Matthew was writing to the Jewish nation, and he was trying to convince them that all he has with all that he has, that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, Matthew quotes 53 times the Old Testament, and 106 times he makes allusion to the Old Testament. If you just take the book of Matthew, the book of Matthew has more Old Testament quotes than the rest of the New Testament combined. It is a Jewish gospel. It is imperative, as he starts out his gospel, he says, this is the book of the record of the generations of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, uh, the son of Abraham, son of David, son of Abraham. And so he placed it in the, in the realm of the three aspects of Jesus, Jesus in covenant, Jesus in crown, and Jesus in uh, chronology. He puts that forefront. He starts it, and that's the way he goes. And he opens up with the chronology of Jesus and his lineage and how he's connected both to David and Abraham. So he wants us to understand this is a very Jewish-flavored gospel, and if you really want to delve deeper into what that means and why it's imperative uh, that Matthew's gospel be included in the canons of the New Testament. It's a wonderful study. Uh, There are nuances about Matthew that only he talks about, things and scenes that he paints from a Jewish perspective. So like I've said so many times before, if you want to study this book or study any book in the Bible, actually, you have to get sand in your sandals. Men, you have to put on your skirt because you have a skirt on. You don't have on pants. Women have on pantalumas. Uh, you have to be ready to go to your prayer closet. And your prayer closet was not a little cubby hole in your house. It was taking the prayer shawl and facing the wall. And that's, that's, that's the backdrop. Don't be ashamed to, to find out what the culture is. Uh, I was looking at your, uh, your library over there, and I, I noticed some of the books you have. And I would ask you to... to to have a personal and church library that has more of a Jewish flavor to it. We're not trying to become Jews, but we need to understand the context of things that are said. So here's our brief outline, three-point outline. Um, The call of the disciples, the commendation of disciples, and the command to the disciples. The call of the disciples, the command, um, commendation of the disciples, and then the command of the disciples. Now, the call of disciples was found in Mark Chapter 3, verses 13 through 16. The Bible says, And he went to a high mountain apart and called unto him whom he would. And he ordained 12 that he, uh, he ordained 12 that they might be with him, that he might send them forth to preach. And the reason why I'm bringing up these passages, these three different passages, because it's the same thing repeated. In this passage, in Mark chapter 
um, three, what's happening? Jesus calls his disciples and he tells them what their job is. He calls them, he commends them, and then he sends them. Then in this passage, the same thing. It says in verse uh, number one of chapter 10, and when he had called on them his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Same thing here. And then the last time, the last passage of Scripture that um, is our third point, which we won't get to, is the command to the disciples. And what's that? Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And the Bible says, He said unto them, All power is given me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and preach the gospel, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, I am with you, even to the end of the age. In three different points, the first time that he said that, the first that he, time he mentioned that, he was, he was giving them a, uh, he was calling them to be with him. That's absolute definition of discipleship. The, actual, the, the absolute dis, the definition of discipleship is calling someone to be with you. I have a, a teaching called discipleship is not a class. It's not a class. You're asking somebody to be with you and walk with you. And that's what he's doing in Mark chapter 3. But here, mission actual, he's saying, here's your commendation. Go forth and do this. It's a smear, uh, the same aspect as mirrored in Luke chapter 10. He sent them forth. He appointed them. He said, go. Now go do what, I, what you've seen me do. You're not saved to sit. You're not saved to be stagnant. Get out. I want to I say this, and I'm, I'm trying to restrain my passion. You are not, you are not an Indian church. You're not. There's no such thing. You are the church called to Mississauga. God did not call you together so this could happen. God called you together so that that could happen. The Bible doesn't say you all come. He says you all go. Now, we meet together so we can strategize, so we can privately worship God, but with the greater intent of going out into all the world. That's why there's nowhere mentioned in the New Testament the first church of of Jerusalem or the first church of Damascus. The church went. The church was always moving. It was was flowing. It It was fluid. I don't go to a black church. I go to a church in River Rouge that serves the black community. The black community in River Rouge needs to hear the gospel. We've changed things around. We're now becoming residents instead of militants. We just come to church and just sit here and then we go home. No, that's not the way it's supposed to be. We get our marching orders and we go out. And that's what Jesus is saying here. You guys have been with me long enough. Now go do what I've done. And we're going to spend more time at this passage. And then in Matthew chapter 8, he commands the disciples. He says, look, this is what I want you to do. I want you to preach. I want you to teach. I want you to baptize. I want you to be faithful. That's what I want out of you. Someone asked me last year, uh, they said, um, Dwight, um, how many people have you led to the Lord this year? I said, I have no idea. What do you mean you have no idea? I don't, I don't you know, have a chalkboard at home. That's 15 for month of February. I don't, I don't do that. I said, most of the times I don't get a chance to witness to people with my mouth. I get a chance to witness 
with to people with my life. Okay, that's 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 what I do. I expose myself to people. I don't hide behind anything. I expose myself to people. People know that I'm a believer. People know dynamically what I believe. How many people have led to the Lord? I have no idea. And that's not my goal. My goal is not to run the tally so I can tell you, ha ha, I said led fifty people to the Lord, you only led six. That's not it. I want people to see the life of Christ emanating out of me. So let's look at this passage, verses um, 32 in chapter 9 and get into chapter 10. Okay, uh, so we just, like I said, we're just going to look at the second point, but I've got five subpoints under the second point and three subpoints each under each subpoint. So here we go. All right, chapter 9. Uh, notice something important. First thing in, in this section called uh, um, his commendation, he exemplifies ministry. Look what he says in chapter 9, verse 32. And as they went out, behold, they brought him a, a dumb man possessed with a spirit, with a devil. And when the devil was cast out, the deaf, dumb spoke, and the multitude marveled, saying, It is never seen so in Israel. But the Pharisee said, He cast out devils through the prince of devils. Now get this. You see three things that are very important here. First of all, Satan's dominance. Satan was running rushad through the world. Remember Hebrews 2.14. For as much then as the children were partakers of flesh and blood, he also took part of the same that he might through death destroy him who had power of death, that is the devil. Until the resurrection of Jesus Christ, Satan ruled and did what he wanted to do. Now, with that true, the raison d'etre of Jesus Christ is Acts chapter 10 verse 38. How that God anointed Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who went about doing good, who was anointed of the Holy Ghost and power, and healing all who were oppressed of the devil. I want you to emphasize the word there, all. Every single person who was oppressed by the devil. That meaning not just, you know, people who were unruly and uncontrollable. That means also those who were sick because of Satan's impact. That's exactly what's here. A man can't talk because a demon has taken control of his life. Another time we see in the book of Matthew, a woman was stumped over because Satan had bound her. So when I talk to my charismatic friends, do you don't believe in healing? I do believe in healing, but I believe in the healing that is that which Jesus promises, and that is to be delivered from the power of darkness. So here we see plainly that Jesus, for his disciples, is exemplifying what the purpose of ministry is, to destroy the works of the devil. That's 1 John chapter 3. For this cause was the Son of God manifest that he might destroy the works of the devil. And guess what? The ministry hasn't changed. So he exemplifies first for us what ministry is. And the, and the, the thing that he targets is Satan's dominance. And the next thing that happens is, notice, there's satanic deliverance. The man is set free. It says... Um, and, and, and when the devil was cast out, the dumb spake and the multitudes marveled, saying, it, has never so, it was never so seen in Israel. But the Pharisees committed high treason and blasphemy. They weren't happy that the man was delivered. They were jealous of Jesus. Whenever I'm, I'm, I'm amazed when you look at the idiot talking heads on television and Christianity is brought to bear. They always want to talk about God's morality. Well, if God is so loving, why did he let all those people die? But they never talk about the mercy of God. 
They want to talk about God's morality. How dare you call God's morality into question? And you're still sucking his air and eating his food and drinking his water. And that's exactly what the Pharisees did. They called God into question and wanted to talk to him about, talk about, him, about his, his power and where it came from. That's ultimate blasphemy, to ascribe to the Holy Spirit the works of Satan. Here a man has been set free, and they, they're not happy about it. Jesus and John uh, says to the, about the Pharisees, he says, you're mad because I made a man whole in John chapter 5. Why? This man, this man was infirm for 38 years, and you're mad because I made him whole. You, 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 you care about what day of the week it was. God can't do good on the Sabbath? Have you lost your mind? And that's the idiocy of Religion. It's a bunch of rules that don't set people free. It keeps them bound. So Jesus exemplifies that you maintain the the righteousness of God, but don't worry about the rules of man. God wants people free. And you know why God wants people free? God loves people. As simple as that. God loves people. If you love what God loves, God is on your side. So first of all, he exemplifies for the disciples what ministry is. Then not only that, he identifies ministry. Look at verse number 36. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad, get this, as sheep having no shepherd. Now figure out here. He identifies what ministry is. True ministry is not the sensationalism, like I said. It's, the, it's not the idea of, of the highlights. It's not the, the camera slapping people on the head and, and they, you know, pass out. Or, it's not the sensationalism of Hollywood. It's the day in, the day out. Here are some sheep. They have no shepherd. They're wandering about. Remember this, that sheep have no defense mechanism. They have, no, they have no security. They can't run fast. A sheep oftentimes will get downcast and can't get up. And that's what David was making reference to in, in Psalm 42. He said, while thou cast down my soul. He remembered his days as a shepherd. And he remembered how just walking and sloshing around, sheep would get inundated and impacted with mud. And they would, they would get so impacted with mud that they couldn't walk any further. And they'd fall down and they would get cast down and could not on their own get up. That made them pray to wolves. A sheep is, is the absolute example of someone that needs someone else's help. You cannot do this on your own. I was talking yesterday uh, at the uh, Discover we have at Hilltop, and I was saying that there's a friend of mine named Craig McAlpine who lives in New Hampshire, and he lives across the street from uh, a man who has sheep. And a funny thing about a sheep, a sheep is the most easily distracted creature on earth. I watched a leaf fall from a tree, and it went right in front of a sheep, and then the wind blew it, and the sheep followed it. And instantly, you know what came to mind? Ephesians 4, that you be no children tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. See, when you don't have a shepherd, that's exactly what will happen. And you'll justify yourself. You'll easily justify yourself. True ministry, ladies and gentlemen, is to understand the heart of the shepherd, to have the heart of the shepherd. 
The shepherd looked at them and says, they're vulnerable. They're vulnerable to the point of death. I was um, uh, last month, er, I'm sorry, earlier, it was still in January. Earlier this month, uh, I was um, about to go to bed. It was about 11 o'clock at night. And I heard the phone ring, and I couldn't get to my cell phone because the phone call was on my cell phone before the person had given a message and hung up. And uh, some of you know this story. Um, and the phone call was from a young man by the name of Gabriel, who I mildly knew from our ministry at Sedan Bible Mission down in Tennessee. And he said, Brother Dwight, I'm calling to ask you if the bus station in Detroit is open 24 hours. The reason is I have been put out of my school because I don't have enough money for tuition. And I have to take a bus from Jackson, Michigan to Daytona Beach, Florida. It's a three-day trip on a bus. He said, it's winter, it's cold outside, and my coat, my hat, my gloves, my scarf were stolen from me. My bus gets from Jackson to Detroit at 1 o'clock in the morning, and I have to sleep there for eight hours because my next bus doesn't leave until 9 in the morning. I was wondering if you knew if the bus station was open 24 hours. I called him back quickly, and I said, Gabe, what are you talking about? He said, yeah, he says, uh, I, I don't have enough tuition. And he's at a, at a ministry. He's at New Tribes Mission. And he said, I don't have money, so they told me I had to get out. And um, they took my keys, and they set out my clothes and everything. And he said, and my coat was stolen and so on and so forth. And when I saw him, he had on a windbreaker jacket. It was 19 degrees outside. And I said, Gabe, when you get in, you call me as the bus is pulling off the freeway. I'll pick you up, and I'll keep you for the night. No, the bus station does not open 24 hours. They won't let you sleep inside. You'll sleep outside on a bench, and someone will molest you. I said, it's a horrible neighborhood where the bus station is. So that's exactly what I did. But between Gabe coming and me meeting at the bus station, and between that time, I sent out four texts and one email, and I explained Gabe's situation that Gabe needed new clothes, that Gabe needed his tuition paid, Gabe needs to go back to home, back to school so he can go into ministry full-time like he wants. And let me tell you something. The response was great. The response was great. Most of it was criticism. Why are you asking for ministry money for someone else when you're in ministry and you're in need? What about you? Why are you worried about somebody else? But six people in 8 to 12 hours, gave $5,000. Did you hear what I said? Now, I probably got 150, 200 emails, phone calls, texts. But one brother says, I'm out of work, but here's $1,000. If you need no, I'll do, need more, let me know. I'll do what I can. I'm out of work. The money is tight, but here's $1,000. If you need more, let me know. That's... Our philosophy of ministry is to meet the needs of the people, regardless of the need, regardless of the people. We, we adopted that 25 years ago, and we never strayed from it. We meet the needs of the people. God, God wants results, not excuses. Here's somebody that has a need. And I, I had some money extra from Christmas, and I said, well, I'm going to be the first person. So I took all the money I had, emptied both of our accounts, and I, and I sent it. And I said, well, Gabe... Uh, when he came in, we took him out to eat. He was freezing. He's a very fair-skinned young man. He had turned 
cherry red. He was so cold. And he had on a, on a windbreaker, and he had suitcases, and his suitcase was falling apart and everything. I said, Gabe, well, I'm going to put some money toward your education. How much do you need? He said, well, uh, they'll let me back in for $2,000. So how much money do you have now? I sa- he said, 300 I said, Gabe, why would you go to school with not any money? He said, well, I got a good job, but the school won't let me work. A full, they only let me work 26 hours. So there's no in the world I can ever catch up with my tuition. And I said, and they put you out? This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard. He says, yeah, they want me to pay it, but they won't let me work so I can pay it. He said, they want me to learn to be dependent on other people. It's, you can get so bogged down with a caricature of ministry that you lose sight of ministry. I said, well, I've contacted a few people, and as I was talking to him, my phone was bleeping. Sam Varghese in Minnesota says, our church is sending you some money, Dwight, for Gabe. They don't even know who Gabe is. They've never seen Gabe. I couldn't put a picture on YouTube of Gabe. So, well, do you need more than that? I said, I'm not asking twice. I said, if God has given this on your heart, to put on your heart to give this, fine. And within 8 to 12 hours, that $5,000 was taken care of. We went and bought him coats and hats and gloves. We fed him. And then we drove him back to school. Ministry is ministry. It, it doesn't hold a debate. It's moved with compassion. It's moved with compassion. That's mission actual, people. Whoso seeth his brother hath need and shut up his bowels of compassion from him. How dwelleth the love of God in him? You see your brother has need of this world's goods and you shut up your bowels of compassion from him. How can you say you love God? You got to come up with excuses. Well, I want to see an expense account. I want to see, I want you to, I want to see if he, if the, if the budget balances. Well, let's feed the person first, Okay. So Jesus not only exemplifies ministry, he identifies ministry. He shows these people as, as, as sheep that are desperately in trouble. Then the next thing he does is he clarifies ministry. Look at verse number 5 of chapter 10. These 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not the way of the Gentiles. And we'll talk, come back and talk about that. And into the city of Samaritans enter ye not, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, each point in this outline that I'm giving you, notice that the emphasis is over and over again, sheep, 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 sheep. Jesus trying to get them to, say, to see that these people are in desperate need and they don't even know it. That's what's happening in the world. The world is legislating. The world is passing laws. The world is trying its best to legitimize its sin. And they don't realize that they are vulnerable, that they're the tool of a wicked despot called Satan, that they're enslaved to their own flesh, and the world is against them. But we do know. We, we, don't we? Don't we? Jesus says, look at them. They think everything is fine. Verse number seven, he says this. As you go, preach. Notice, Jesus deals with the spiritual before he deals with the social. In every context, back in chapter 32. uh, um, I'm sorry, back in in chapter um, nine. 
He teaches first, and then he ministers. He teaches first. In the, in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, go you in all the world and preach the gospel. Teach them to observe whatsoever I've commanded you. Don't lose sight of the fact we are not a walking banquet. We are not a thrift store. We are not a, 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 a parcel store where we hand out things and smile at people and say, God bless you. The first and the most important emphasis is the spiritual. Jesus preached first. He says, preach. Notice what he said to preach. The kingdom of of heaven is at hand. It's right here. And what he's saying is it's noticeable. It's not all rhetoric. It's not all teaching. You can see it. You can see it. Then, next thing, it's not just spiritual. Notice the social impact. He says this, heal the sick, cleanse the leper, raise the dead, cast out devils, freely you have received, freely you give. There has got to be a social aspect. I, I am against the turncoat preachers who, who preach a social message that has a gospel ring to it. Well, they, 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 they use their powers of oratory to sound like they're representing God, but their message is totally social and really is socialistic. We don't need a social message with a gospel ring. We need a gospel message that has social relevance. It's got my gospel, though even the words I say must meet people at their spiritual level as well as their social level. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So not only does he exemplify ministry, he identifies the ministry, and then he clarifies ministry. Look what he says in verse number um, Verse number uh, nine, provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two goats, coats, neither shoes nor staves for the workman is worthy of his meat. Understand something here, please. Please understand something. You're never supposed to present the gospel as a means to get rich. But there must be some obligatory responsibility on behalf of the people you minister to. I, I would love to make every one of our conferences totally free. I wish I could raise the money so that every person can come for free, but that'd be the dumbest thing in the world because people don't value what they don't pay for. You know, you know, what, you know what the writer of Proverbs said? He says, he that withholdeth corn in the time of famine, the people shall hate. But they love him that selleth it. You would love, it would be perfect to go on television and say, we're giving away all of this. And what you do is you create a welfare state and there's no responsibility on the behalf of the people you're trying to reach. But there must be. There must be responsibility for your actions. There must be you participating in it. If you think that ministry is just handing out, handing out, just giving and giving, then what you're doing is you're enslaving people to a mindset that they have no responsibility. But Jesus says, don't you go into this place, first of all, 
showing that you have a great amount of possessions, that you're prosperous. This is absolutely in, flies in the face of prosperity preachers. But go there, preach the gospel, heal the sick, raise the dead, do all those things. And don't be ashamed to require of them that they minister to your needs. I had a talk with, um, in this past October, with Nate Bramson. And we took Nate out to dinner. And he and I were at the end of the, one end of the table. And he says, Dwight, you've been in ministry a lot longer than I have. He says, can we talk about some few, a few things? I said, sure, Nate, what do you want to talk about? He said, have you ever spent every dime you had to go speak someplace and they just shook your hand and say, you was a great message and walk away? I said, every year. Every year. I said, one of my favorite things was, Nate, I went to speak at a church. I won't name the country, but it was Canada. And um, uh, I won't name the city, but it was Toronto. And... <laughs> Uh, I went to speak, and they wanted me to speak um, in the morning, twice, and twice in the evening. I had no problem with that, so I rented a car, and I drove up here, and, and I shared the gospel. Uh, in one meeting, I, I shared the word, then I did the gospel. And there was a five-hour difference between the end of the first meeting and the evening meeting. And so all the people are leaving the church and leaving the church and leaving the church, and I'm standing there, and I'm waiting for someone to come up to say anything to me, and nobody did. And finally, one of the last guys to leave the church, I think he was an elder or a deacon, I said, excuse me, sir. I said, uh, what about me? He said, what about you? I said, well, what, what, you know, where do I go? What, what? He said, nobody, um, well, usually our, 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 it's not a tradition in our church for us to, uh, to, to entertain the preacher. Uh, but um, I said, well, where am I? I don't have a hotel here. I, I drove up from Detroit early this morning. What, what do you want me to do? He said, uh, well, um, uh, we're not having dinner, but you can come in our house. I said, okay. And I followed him to his house, and he had me sit on the couch in the living room. Uh, there's no television, no books to read in the living room. I'm sitting there. He said, we'll be, we got some things we need to work on uh, uh, in the, another part of the house. And I could hear them eating in another part of the house, and I could hear, shh, quiet, quiet. And I could smell, I mean, I'm not dumb. I could smell the food coming out the back. And then when it was time to go to church, the man barely could talk from belching. And he says, uh, well, you ready to leave to go to church, brother? Uh, yeah, I said, you need to wipe your mouth off just a little. You got some gravy there. And, uh, and I followed him back to church. And the first meeting was a gospel meeting, so I gave the gospel. But the second meeting was supposed to be a, like a Bible study. And I gave it, and I said, um, please, never ask me back here. And I rehearsed why. And I said, I, I'm not... You know, speaking up for myself, I'm speaking up for all the other preachers that would come here to your church. It's a sin what you've just done. Have a good evening. God bless you. And I got in the car and drove away. And if they had an honorary for, for me, I, wouldn't, I didn't want to take it because they might have gone broke if I had taken their honorary. And I told Nate that story. He said, wow. He said, I got one better than that. I said, if you got one worse better than that, brother, that's, that's the state of the church. He said, every single month, Something like that happens twice. There has to be responsibility in ministry. There has to be. And I've had people tell me, well, we didn't give you an offering, brother, because you're supposed to live of the gospel, not off the gospel. I said, do you know Greek? He says, well, I've read the Assembly Distinctives by Harold McKay. Well, Harold McKay didn't know Greek. I said, I know Greek. It's the same preposition. Of, and, uh, of the gospel and from the gospel. 
Really? Yeah. How come nobody ever said anything? I'll tell you why they never said anything. Because they're too cheap. I was asked by a church, why did I go to certain ethnic groups to preach and not to other ethnic groups? And I'll just tell you. I said, why do you go to white churches and you don't go to black churches? You always go to white churches. And I said, one simple reason. Why? They pay me. They realize I have to pay rent. They realize I have to feed my family. They realize I have to drive my car. These huge churches of the African-American community invite me. They shake my hand and say, Brother, we really enjoy you. Come up and play the piano. But it's amazing that the European saints realize that I have to eat, that I have to brush my teeth, that I have to have rent to pay. Well, maybe you don't have any money. Well, then you don't need to be in business because every single pastor, elder, deacon was driving a car that was at least a year old and it was of the finest model. I didn't see anybody riding a bike to church. Don't lose sight that ministry must be perpetual. And that's, Jesus is saying this among people who aren't even saved. He said, you go and you preach for them. You make sure they take care of you. Jesus not only exemplifies ministry, Jesus not only identifies ministry, but he clarifies ministry. And here's an issue that people don't want to talk about. They don't want to talk about God's servants. God's people who are in full-time ministry who are suffering. And I'm going to tell you something. Shame on us. Shame on us not taking care of God's people. So not only does he exemplify ministry, and identify ministry, clarify, he applies ministry. Look what he says in verse number 13. And if that house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. If it be not worthy, let your peace return unto you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words, when you depart out of the house of the city, shake off the dust from off your feet. Verily I say unto you, it should be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, I send you forth, here's the word again, as sheep, in the midst of wolves, be ye therefore wise as serpents, harmless as dove. Now get this. He's being very clear. I want you to be vulnerable. I want you to be vulnerable. But I don't want you to be stupid. I have a statement, statement that I say, especially to young ladies who love the Lord and want to go into ministry. Never go any place you're not loved. Do I have this desire to go work in Tanzania? Does anybody in Tanzania know you? Don't go. Well, I have a heart for it. Never go any place where you're not loved. Never go. Parents, please hear me. Don't send your kids away from college unless there's some church, some family that you can plug them into that will love them and hold them accountable and love them as you have loved them. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's the error. That's why many of our young people never come back because they experience what Satan calls freedom and actually is licentiousness. And they lose their faith because it hasn't been reinforced. And then they have a camaraderie of their peers that have a kind of group acceptance so the kid no longer feels isolated and alone. There's no accountability. There's no parents. And that walk they made up once had with the Lord, the word of God that they once had with the Lord has dissipated. So as a result, when they come back and see you and see the rules and regulations and, and the, the, the constancy of church, it's no longer attractive. 
And Satan has offered them a package like they've never had before. And that's why they don't come back to church. Don't you ever do that. You don't send your child away to someplace where they're not loved. So Jesus applies ministry. Understand this. I want you to be vulnerable. I don't want you to be a threat, but I don't want you to be stupid. And that's why he says earlier in the passage, don't go to the Gentiles and don't go to the Samaritans. You know why? Because the gospel of the kingdom of heaven is not for them. It's for the cheap, lost sheep of Israel. There's a whole other gospel for the Gentiles. But here I want you to know that, that, that this message is for Israel. And what is the message for Israel? That the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob promised that your, their descendants would hear from the Messiah, that they would hear about the truth for the son of David. And he's now come. That has no relevance to the Gentiles. It has no relevance to the Samaritans. But it has to the lost sheep of Israel. Go to them. Don't worry about the Gentiles. Don't worry about the Samaritans. I have a message for them. But I want you to represent the kingdom as fulfilling the promise that was made to the patriarchs. So what do I say? I say this to you. It's great. You have a soul winning ministry. Wonderful. You have a Bible study ministry. Wonderful. But have you reached home yet? Have you dealt with your own family yet? Oh, they're not interested in church. So what? We purposely have picnics at our house and barbecues at our house to invite people over because then they're a captive audience. I will not pass you the, the chicken or the barbecue until we prayed over our food. You're going to hear the gospel. You're going to hear. We're gonna, we're gonna, next thing, we're going to move into the living room and get around the piano and start singing hymns. And no, I won't unlock the door for you. We want people to see us. We want people to see us. Ministry and its motives must be actual. It must be actual. A young man called me on the phone this week. He's called me before. He sounds like he's a little slow. But he said, yeah, Mr. Knight, uh, yeah, well, remember I called you several months ago about a debate you did against the Rastafarians? I said, yeah, I kind of remember. I don't remember your name, but I remember you calling. He said, yeah, well, uh, 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 after talking to you, I decided I'm not going to be a Rastafari. I said, well, that's great. I'm going to be a Muslim. Oh, goodness. Okay. He says, and I want to know where I, if you can give me some information on how to be a Muslim. I said, well, before you do that, um, can we talk a minute? Sure, Mr. Knight. And I gave him all of the information about <coughs> Muhammad, Allah, and so on. And I said, you know, the Allah did not become a god or the god that he is now until 632 A.D.? 632 A.D.? I said, yeah. 600 years after Jesus Christ had rose up from the dead, Allah shows up. I said, why would you want to worship a god that just showed up. And the next thing I said, I said, Allah is powerless. He said, powerless? I said, yeah, what does the Bible tell us about what God says about his enemies? He says, the battle's not yours, it's the Lord's. God doesn't tell me to kill my enemies, he tells me to love them. I said, but Allah is so powerless, he has to send a five-year-old kid strapped with bombs on him to go blow up his enemies. 
Why can't he do it himself? Wow, I never thought of that. I said, next thing. I said, the heaven that you want to go to, what is it like? And he said, well, such and such, such and such, such and such, such and such. I said, where did you hear about this heaven? He said, well, just different things, movies, people. Some people talk from the Bible, the old church I used to go to. I said, yeah, everything, the heaven you want to go to, gets its origin from the Bible. The Bible, the Christian Bible. Allah doesn't know what heaven looks like. I said, for, for Muslims, it's only a benefit to men, and it's a lot, an eternal orgy. I said, but the heaven you, you want to know about is in the Bible, so why would you follow a religion that doesn't have the heaven you want to go to? Uh, 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 I never thought of that. I said, why don't you follow the faith that has the very heaven, is the source of the information of the heaven you want to go to? Can you give me some more information? Yes, I can give you some more information. And I gave him some books to read. And I told him, I said, you've Googled my name before. Look at the rest of my debates. When I debate Muslims, when I debate Islam, when I debate Catholicism, look at that. And I said, you need to know the God of your Bible. I said, you know, here's another thing. He said, what's that? I said, whether it's Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, or Muslims, they all use the Bible to authenticate what they teach. So why would you use or go to a religion that is a substitute, a counterfeit, tries to be a parasite to the true word of God, the Bible? Why don't you throw all those things away and follow Jesus Christ? And then this poor young man said this, I just want to make sure that I'm right. I said, so do I. I said, I've been a Christian for 52 years. And I said, I've studied all those other religions, really studied all those other religions. And I said, young man, peace is found in Jesus. He said, that's it. That's what I should I want to say. I want to be at peace. I said, if you want to be at peace, it's found in Jesus Christ. You know, he's the prince of peace. He's the prince of peace. That's really ministry. Ministry is rubbing up against people and them knowing that you've been with Jesus. That's, that's what ministry is all about. Um, I have those moments um, in my life. Now, let me tell you what those moments are. That in the back of my head, a song will come up. And I can't get rid of that song, and I don't want to get rid of that song, and it breaks my heart and I cry about it. But the song that, that's been doing that recently is I love to tell the story of unseen things above, of Jesus and his glory, of the, and his glory and Jesus' love. I love to tell the story because I know it's true. I love to tell the story. It would be my theme and glory to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Don't you love the story? You know why you love the story? Because everything that it said, you appropriated for yourself. And I want to tell you what it did for me. That's ministry. I'm not trying to, to get you to, to hear me win an argument. I want you to have life. I want you to have the same life I have. I really couldn't care about who wins a debate. I don't even care about who wins elections. That's not why I'm here. I want you to be set free like I've been set free. And that's why Jesus kept talking about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom, because he knew what it was like. Saints, I'm not 
complimenting you. I'm not trying to impress you. But probably closer than just about any other church I know. You guys have got the right perspective. Ministering to a community. Reaching out to the people around you. Because I don't care where you plant your church. I don't care where you situate your, your corner and hang your shingle. Everybody around you is going to hell. You can say, well, this community is depressed. So we're going to, okay, if you go up the street, you know, and houses are now $5 million each, guess what? Everybody in them, like everybody in the ghetto, is going to hell. And you can go to the, the seats of power. You can go to the depths of poverty. Everybody is going to hell. It really doesn't matter where you decide to hang your shingle because you're surrounded by people who are in a graveyard. And the whole idea is not to become famous by the fact that you cleaned up a neighborhood, but that somebody met Jesus. That you preached a gospel that reached people who are lost. Don't get impressed with demographics, that poor neighborhood. Listen, Satan is just as active in Beverly Hills as he is in Compton. He's just as active in Manhattan as he is in Harlem. He's just as active in Detroit as he is in Gross Point. People are bound up and they need a savior. That's ministry, period. If you want to get to the dirty people, guess what? They come in all flavors. It's not the outside that's the problem. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. This is what Jesus is all about. Heavenly Father, uh, the, the issue before us is remembering. Remembering who you are and what you did and what you want done. We are in a crisis of identity. The church has lost sight of who it is. Would you remind us that we are the body of Christ, not called to be uh, stationary or to take up residence here, but we're passing through as ambassadors. And the word of God must be sent to those who are lost, people who are bound up in the evil throes of Satan. Help us, God. Help us to see true ministry and hear your voice and by your grace meet the needs of the people in Jesus name amen um, when I got um, the email about the passage that we'd be studying a couple of months ago um, it was included come up with some discussion questions so I've got some discussion questions um, I'm actually out of time okay so uh, I'll give you the discussion questions and you can deal with them when you get together again is that it Okay, all right. Um, I wanted, to, if you go back to the passage we just looked at, real quick, I'll give them to you. Um, you'll notice that when Jesus said, um, in verse number 12 and 13, when you come into a house, salute it, and if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it, and if be not worthy, let not your peace return unto you. And back two questions are right there in those two verses, or three verses. First of all, what does it mean by if the house be worthy? That's going to take a little bit of research, but you can find it. 
And the second is what he says here. He says, and if it be worthy, let your peace return. I'm sorry, let your peace uh, become upon it. And if it be not worthy, let not your peace, uh, let your peace return to you. What does he mean by leaving your peace or taking your peace back? Those are the two questions. Worthiness and the either the the ministry of peace or not leaving your peace upon that house. It's a very delicious study. I looked at it probably around the first of the year in January, uh, um, first few days of January. And when I did discover, and it didn't take long for me to find out and get some cross-referencing to it, you'll be really delighted as to the answers to that. So, all right, I'm done. Can we stand and sing that song? I love to tell the story. I don't have the words in front of me. Oh, okay. I love to tell the story of things above, of Jesus and his glory, of Jesus and his love. I love to tell the story.